folks, it's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Good morning, folks. Welcome to Democratic Perspective. Um, this is a show where everything that could go wrong has sort of gone wrong. That's and right. We're so still excuse kicking. our weird Facebook yeah. Live here. Okay. Um, I went on the, the website last night and the night before because I wanted to talk about what uh, uh, Democratic Perspective has done over the last 10 years. Just to give you a preview, because we've done 500 shows now. Wow. 500 shows, and I wanted to look at uh, all our data about we did so many shows on civil rights, we interviewed so many uh, mm. politicians and so forth and so on, and we can't get on the website. So, as an alternative, as an alternative to this, I, I want to uh, start by, uh, uh, since I don't have any of the data and I like having data, uh, <laughs> I'm going to start this by interviewing uh, Hava. Oh, we're jumping right into that. We're jumping huh? right okay. into the interview, right. huh? Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe you folks know that we had some people leave the show last fall, and uh, we started looking for uh, another co-host. Uh, uh, beloved friend Klaus pushed me. You know, I have to have a woman co-host. Have to have a woman co-host. I said, Well, I'm not sure. I'll find one. You know, Klaus. Maybe I'll have to get a you know a guy. I hear you, but I, I, no, no, you must anyway. Um, Hava turned up. Actually, I think Jessica, my wife, uh, saw her post and stuff and liked her post. And yeah, I think because her. of El Rojo and you guys yeah. had a show happening around development and it was the Bear Mountain uh, Air, the, uh, You were very deeply project. involved in local developments, right, right and right. De- local shows. And I think that's that's one reason that, that we wanted to have you on and everything worked out. Worked out. It came kind of a co-host. But we never really introduced Hava. Uh, we never really uh, um, said who she was. She's on air. You can hear her. So you know who she is in that sense. And that's probably the best sense. I don't <laughs> think you need any biography. I don't think you nope. need, at this point, folks, any biography on me to um, to get pretty much what we're about. So let me ask you, Hava, where are you from? I was born in L.A., uh, lived in Eugene, Oregon for Quite a few years, went to school up there, University of Oregon, go Ducks, um, lived in Paris for a bit, came back to Oregon, and then ended up here in Arizona the last, gosh, almost 30 years. And you go by the um, uh, Mixtrasava. Uh, well, only because I about? doctored documents for Facebook, and now I can't change it back when they made me change my name back 10 years ago. Mixtras is my DJ name, so of course Sedona, a lot of people in Sedona, although it's so, so many new people now. But I DJ'd here in town, produced parties for about 15 years. 15 years. Um, and so Mixtress Hava is my DJ name. And uh, that's kind of gone by the wayside these days. I just have not had any drive to do that. But um, this, you know, getting involved with land use issues and... Um, so doing DJ work is something that really has to kind of call for you or you are not interested in it? Oh, well, I used to be. It used to be... Um, yeah, a big part of my world. And now, you know, I've had a couple of offers to uh, do parties uh, recently, some really nice ones. And, and I just had no interest in 
in uh, participating. You just yeah. don't feel it anymore. Yeah, doesn't. I know it probably doesn't bode well for our conversation about a fundraiser, but I might dust it off for, for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, we will have to have a fundraiser, folks. It's been since 2017, <laughs> and we've lost our two largest contributors, and as well as some, so many people have moved from Sedona or died or um, just left the show, so that we're <laughs> we're heading for some economic. Uh, Stress, and so we want to have another fundraiser, if not in the spring, and then in the fall. Yeah, and 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 I think Hava will be able to do that really well. I could probably throw something together for that. Yeah, well, that would be well, really, be, you know, really, so really well. handy. Yeah, because uh, I hate doing that sort of stuff myself. Now, so how did you get interested in politics? Well, you know, I'm actually not a very political person. I've been definitely a community interested person. So um, I was really into service from a young age. Um, I've always kind of looked around to see, you know, where I can help and, and who needs help, who's the, the, the most um, marginalized and, and in need. That's kind of always been my bend. So my politics have, if um, I'm going to talk politics with somebody, have always leaned to the left, obviously. Um, and then... Um, I've never been involved. I've never been interested in being a politician, but I'm very interested in watching politicians. Um, for me, I'm very interested in knowing what my politicians are doing, which wasn't something I was very interested in for many years. You know, I lived here for 17 years mm-hmm. and was in a bubble. Yeah. And in fact, I remember telling my my son and his dad a few years ago that I'm not interested in history. I don't care about history. It's, it, I'm in the now. I, I just care about the now, and that really shifted for me. Mm-hmm. These last and few you really, years. you really got interested. Um, getting interested in politics is sort of an interesting thing. And mm-hmm. what do you find? I'm, I, what do you find interesting in, in watching politicians? A lot of times, folks, when I started doing this a decade ago, people said, "Oh, you vote for Democratic, you know, candidates, but you have to hold your nose." And I've interviewed just about every Democrat that's run for 10 years in the state of Arizona and in our district and in our, our CD and everywhere else. And they're all decent people. We've had some people who were very marginal as candidates. They had personality difficulties that made them hard to cooperate with other people. Um, they were too shy to do the job. Mm-hmm. We've had people who were who just didn't like talking. And, I, you know, honestly, if you're going to be a politician, you really do have to talk to people. Yes. Because otherwise they're not going to know what you're going to do. And you really have to. I remember one time Mike, who was our old co-host, and I having to pull out every single word from this guy. Mm-hmm. Now, I think he's pretty much a wonderful human being, but he was not a, a, a not a good politician. Right. I've been a bit of writer of his ideas. Yeah. And <laughs> and so we we've. We've always done that. So I've, gosh, I've interviewed so many people. They're, we're filled with, um, the Democratic Party is filled with very, very decent people at, at I, I think, generally. And so is the Republican Party. Yeah. And I think that the politics have always been pretty good. We've never had a singular hobby. We've never had a single point of view. The show is called Democratic Perspective, but it really should be probably small d uh, and perspectives. 
because there's not a single right perspective. We don't generate a, a single perspective. Uh, people doing the shows, those, the shows reflect a lot the interest of who's doing them. And so you're interested in criminal justice reform in Phoenix. So that's we, we've done a lot of shows on that mm-hmm. because you're interested in it. Yeah. In the same way, um, I'm interested in, in uh, talking to certain people. And so we've done that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how it, how it works. It's an organic. It's always been a sort yeah. of organic process of, of who's involved. And, yeah, and you know, you know, going back to politics, you know, if you're really looking at how to make change in your community, you know, like getting involved with Black Lives Matter, getting involved with, you know, I've been an abolitionist for a long time, but now, of course, it's becoming a very tangible idea and possibility. When you really start getting down to the nitty gritty and making change, you can't help but be involved in politics. And you've really got to think about being involved in politics. You got to think about, are you willing to be a politician, not to, you know, be part of one side or the other, but are you willing to get in the trenches and make a difference in your community? And it really takes looking around and seeing what's happening. And that's where the rubber meets the road. A lot of people aren't willing to roll up their sleeves. A lot of people don't even really know what's going on in their neighborhood. Um, so that's, for me, where politics or, or, or politics informs, I guess I'd flip that around, but th- that's how my politics are informed. So and you so, start from the local and then work yeah, up to the national absolutely. and international. Yeah, and so, of course, I, I really, I've been such an ignoramus for the last, how many, you know, almost 50 years. And so I've really been coming out of the dark, so to speak, in the last few years and looking at history. And, of course, our very complicated and unique history with black Americans um, that we really need to look at how our relationships are with each other, how we are... Um, treating each other. And when you look at politics, it's glaringly obvious how money and power corrupt, how, you know, taking care of the little guys, not the concern of most of our politicians. Um, and I say the little guy, I don't want to, you know, reduce, be reductionist, but um, you know, we know what we're talking about here. Um, so that's where I feel like politics needs to have a huge shift from a party to a um, a real concern about community, but you can't you can't make people do that, you know. The problem the problem I have, Hot, I recently joined one of these um, local networks, People Next Door. I think it's mm-hmm. called Next Door. Yeah. And yep. I go on the site, and the first site is long, fifty six people denouncing the city government for not solving the. Uh, um, Highway problems, the road problems, the traffic problems in Sedona. So what I see, I guess, is something, you know, because I've been doing politics, you know, most of my life in one way or the other. I started out in the civil rights movement. I was in the last sit-in in in Oklahoma, the last uh, diner in Oklahoma, the last uh, lunch counter was in a sit-in there. Um, and so I've been doing politics my whole life, and I, one of the things I've always avoided is, is, is sort of extremism. And I and, and back in the sixties and the seventies, we had all these sort of extremists telling us, "You have to do this, you have to do that." Who mm-hmm. on the left? And I've always just stayed doing what I do. Mm-hmm. That's been my focus. But what I see from this perspective, and it's just a long perspective, is is the amount of divisiveness mm-hmm. and anger 
and negativity yeah. and destructiveness, it's not just national. Mm-hmm. It's not just Donald Trump feeding anger and feeding resentments. Uh, and it's it's local, too. Mm-hmm. Um, what we get it locally, and what I've seen, we've done some shows on this, and I'm going to do a show again next week about it. We're going to have Steve Segner on, and we're going to talk about this, is the amount of destructiveness and the amount of lack of information and the lack of desire for information. Mm-hmm. So traffic problems, we get all this stuff thrown out that would cost hundreds of millions of dollars a city can't possibly do. We get all kinds of transit solutions that are outside the city, which is very dubious that they can, they can spend the money to like pave Snebley Hill Road. It's, it's, it's as if everybody is, we're stymied with the traffic and, and, um, and you're in Phoenix now, but this last year was particularly bad. Yeah, the traffic in Phoenix bad. doesn't drive me nearly as nuts as it does uh, here. It's, it's, <laughs> it's really bad. The point that I'm trying to make is just that the anger, the frustration, the lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. People don't even know that they don't live in the Sedona city limits. Mm-hmm. They don't know that ADOT controls the highways except for one mile of highway mm-hmm. in, in, in uptown Sedona. Um, they don't know, uh, they don't think about what will happen if they try to put a, a separate highway through VOC over um, um, and come up um, 89A. Um, I'm not necessarily saying I'm against that. I'm just saying that. All those homeowners along that road, turning it into a highway, is is going to be a real negative for them. So one of the things we discuss is NIMBY stuff, not in my backyard. Nobody wants it in my backyard. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, that makes sense because we all have backyards. We all have things property that are important value. to us, mm-hmm. you know, property values, whatever. But what I'm, what I'm most disturbed about, I guess, is is the... Lack of knowledge, the lack of wanting to even know what's going on, the fury, the um, the. Can I get woo woo on you here, Steve? Because really, we're talking about human beings. Yeah. And a lot of people are traumatized human beings. And now that we can get back to me a bit, my practice, which I've been doing for a few years, is working a lot around people. You know, regulating their nervous systems, breathing properly, eating properly, all of that. We're talking about human beings caught in their heads a lot, in survival mode, kind of just going on their intergenerational information and beliefs. That That's who we're, we're talking about here. So we have to really come from this with a compassionate, compassionate heart. That's right. my Sedona woo-woo piece what, of this. What I, what I, where I resonate with what you're saying is particularly in survival mode. And uh, mm-hmm. there's a, a theory, you know, human consciousness and, and human um, reason was really built for, as a matter of survival. Mm-hmm. It was never, truth was never the paramount right. goal of right. human reason. It was survival protection and stuff. Mm-hmm. And now we've got, as we have actual less and less real problems, we have the... Yeah, we're domesticated. Yeah, you know, we have the survival instinct getting stronger and stronger. Mm-hmm. And we also have, and I'll just throw this in there, so just a little off on the side, is that we have... Um, all kinds of misinformation now. Mm-hmm. We have rumor 
the social media exaggerates these things. So I was at a over at some people's house the other night and they said, you know, the cheap drivers have have, have talked to the Forest Service into not paving Snebley Hill Road and the road behind Thunder Mountain. Well, I worked for Jeep companies for 10 years. Jeep companies are very, very much afraid of the Forest Service. They're not telling the Forest Service what they're doing. Mm. Stopping paving, uh, stopping grading. We're just talking about mm-hmm. grading. I right. said pavement. But we're just talking about grading the road. Stopping grading the road destroyed tours mm. that we were giving. Right. We could no longer do an hour and a half tour and a two-hour tour. Well, this is six years ago. And so it's not, you know, but this rumor goes around, it gets spread around, it's on uh, the social media. And um, I don't know how, I mean, people get tired of, of knocking things down only to have, you know, it's like zombies pop back <laughs> up. It's like little dolls. You know, <laughs> Whack-a-mole. Whack-a-mole. Yep. Yeah, up it comes again. So um, the massive amount that you can go directly from feeling frustrated into social media and project that into social media and set other people off, call that up from other people, uh, um, strikes me as something that's that's gotten worse and worse. Well, I'm really hopeful in that as we're kind of winding down, you know, lockdowns and masks and gatherings, people are probably starting to talk to each other more now. I think so. I mean, I think I'm, I'm expecting to see lots of positive things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People and that, lots of changes. Yeah, people know. that probably haven't seen each other and were polarized for months mm. and now are in the same room. Um, I'm I'm hopeful that that things are going to come back to more of a human level than a less you know inter interwebs level. I hope you're right. I'm not. I'm not sure you're right. I don't. I have never seen this country this this divided and this fractured. I've never seen. This massive amount of response, basically, to stuff that's not there. Mm-hmm. We have a fair election, and we have a political party denying that it was a fair election. We have in in Maricopa County, we have a political party deciding that they're going to count the votes. Yeah, God. what <laughs> sense can that possibly make? It doesn't matter whether it's Democrats or Republicans. You don't let a political party engaged in the process count yeah. the votes. Yeah. If you worked on elections, usually there's a Democrat here and a Republican there to make sure everything is on the straight and narrow. So we have this vast amount of a fraudulent stuff. It's a, it's a kind of poison in the body politic. And you think that the ending of the, the uh, pandemic will help ease that some? I'm hoping, yeah. I mean, I hope that people are starting to talk to each other. Um, I mean, given this long away from each other and only maybe reiterating stuff they, see, they, they saw on the web, I don't know. No, no, I'm second guessing that theory, but um, I, I think just being around humans is going to f- kind of soften people. I think I'm mm-hmm. to, to make it a little more esoteric. I just think people are going to get a little softer in, in each other's presence. Yeah, I, I guess if I was advising uh, President Biden, I would suggest to do a major Fourth of July ceremony um, at a very inclusive one. A very public and very large celebration of the pandemic easing and being over, a celebration of returning to some sort of normality. Um, I would like to see public, because I come from a kind of Confucian point of view, I'd like to see public um, efforts to connect people up. 
And so I'd like to see more energy put into the 4th of July. Thanksgiving are probably the best holidays because they're non-religious. They include everybody. Uh, to do that, they're civic holidays. So I'd like to see a lot more energy put into civic holidays and sort of old-fashioned uh, Americana stuff, having a big picnic in the town. I remember my small town in Oklahoma no longer could do Fourth of July picnics. Not enough people showed up, oh. right? And they couldn't do Labor Day picnics anymore. There's not enough people were showing up, and they were already, already, television had had provided so much entertainment that you didn't have to do self entertainment. And the generation before mine, people all played musical instruments. They sang. They played all these strange games, domino and <laughs> card games and, and all kinds of stuff because they had to be self-entertaining. And television, I think, was the first big change, radio and television, because they, they, they brought a way to be entertained that you didn't have to interact with anyone. Yeah. And I, I, I hope to see that. I hope to see a, a, a ceremonial kind of situation. I, that I'm patriotism to me yeah. in this country has just become nationalism too much. It's yeah. too nationalistic. I have absolutely no interest in celebrating this country as a whole. I'd rather celebrate my community. Mm. The thing is that um, back in the 60s, the country sort of bifurcated. Originally, waving American flags and having American flags around was something everybody of all the political parties and all the left wing and the right wing all did that. In the 60s, um, the Vietnam War and the civil rights movement made us uh, many, many people, young people like me, extremely critical of the government and stuff. And the the flag then became the Provence, the uh, the, uh, the, it became the symbol of the right wing, right? The American flag became not the symbol of all of us in together, mm -hmm. but yeah. the symbolism of the right wing political parties. And the left wing didn't have, they had the peace signs and so forth and so on. Um, there was there was no way during our demonstrations to much control what would happen. So if somebody wanted to walk in, with the, as it happened in Berkeley with a Viet Cong flag, which was not what we wanted to say, there's nothing you can do about it without getting into a fist fight, a big shoving match. You had to let people join along whatever their particular political thing was. But that became the fracture, and then the American uh, 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 flag became politicized on one side. I'd like to see it return to everybody. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to mean some narrow construct of America. It doesn't have to mean I'm in favor of a narrow Republican construction of America, which at this point believes that uh, white people basically should control the country because they're the best people or they're the middle class people. It doesn't have to mean anything like that. So what I would like to see is a broadening of of the older symbols of of the country. Um, I'd like to get rid of the flag altogether. Yeah. Well, 
what to say. Mm-hmm. Every 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 country in the world has had a, and we should discuss this. Every country in the world has flags. Yeah, I love all the every entity. In my, every in my entity has, has 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 something that that, that they that they uh, see see as symbolizing them. I mean, a peace movement. We had the peace sign that symbolized our desire for peace. Um, what I see now is the, the American flag getting replaced by an American flag with a big blue stripe running mm-hmm. down it, yep. which started out being uh, police live matter, blue lives matter, and turned in now to a militia symbol. So when we were driving in California uh, and we looked down at all these um, campers, they had huge flags flying, but they weren't flying American flags. They were flying this Adulterated version. Yeah. An un- uh, um, I don't say it's an American flag, but it's a, I mean, I think it is because of what it's come to mean. So uh, flags and all those things sort of shift. So you're against having states at all. I am one of those. Yes. Yeah. So you're a total mm-hmm. anarchist. Total, I, yeah. Yes. I, yes. 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 Yeah. Yes. Capital A. I don't see any place in the world that doesn't have a state. And I don't see... Weak states, you know, you're talking Somalia. The minute you don't have a state, you don't have overreaching authority, you don't have courts, you don't have police, you get um, an anarchical situation that's even worse than some of the oppressive states. Because even some of these oppressive states, like in Russia, can provide some sort of physical security. You get into a civil war like in uh, in, in Syria and stuff, you know, you, you, there is no security provided for people. Well, people need to figure out how to provide for themselves, for one. But people really, I don't see how people can provide the kind of security they needed for a state. Um, and I tell the story, it's absolutely true. Uh, we walked into a place called the Planetarium Florist, I think it was, in New York City. Um, there was no one around. This never happens in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, knocked over a couple, knocked over plants. And as we were headed for the door, this woman came running out, guy running out from front of me. She's screaming, he was going to rape me, right? Okay. We chased the guy down. Um, uh, I was, did a lot of uh, uh, Tai Chi then. I wove in and out because he had a gun. He was waving a, a little automatic at us. I knew enough about guns that didn't think he could hit anything, and I was weaving in and out so that, that he couldn't get me. But we were chasing him. I was hanging back. And I remember yelling to the guy who was running along the sidewalk. I said, the guy's got a gun. I mean, don't, you know. Hold. So anyway, he starts across Columbus. And two guys come from the other way. They knock him really off the gown, like he's like a rag doll, flips up in the air. The gun, which later turns out not to be a gun, but some kind of thing he's made in order to intimidate this woman. It was convincing enough to, to get her to let him, let her rob him. It was only when he was going to take off her belt and she thought she might murder him, uh, might murder her that she did it. So we got him in the middle of the street, actually one of the biggest avenues in New York. He's down in the middle, and one of us is sitting on each one of his limbs. And this guy who hasn't been in on tackling him, which was the scary process, comes up, his face is on the ground, and, and, and socks him, hits him really hard on the jaw. And we say, hey, who are you? You know, and it's good. He said, that was my girlfriend he was going to rape. So one of the guys goes, ah, go ahead. <laughs> he hits the guy again. 
At that point, two of us stopped him from hitting the guy. The guy ended up in the hospital for weeks. He had a broken clavicle, broken jaw, eye socket screwed up, ribs broken just from being tackled and jumped on. There's that's vigilante justice. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody wanted to take him and throw him off a bridge. Mm -hmm. Right. So when I when I I don't see an alternative in people doing things themselves to the police and the courts and stuff, I I think from my point of view, the less you have of that in one sense, the better, The, the more you have, the more that the more that justice is in the courts and the decisions are just and the confusion since the less the less need there is for other things. If you can trust the courts to just decision, you don't have this vigilante thing. And I will be honest with you, I enjoyed seeing the guy hit. He scared me. He waved that gun at me. He waved it at me a bunch of times and if he he was waving at it when the guy's hitting from the other side. So I was scared, and my adrenaline was up, and I could see how if I hadn't been there to stop him, they would have beat him even more. You're right. They could have killed him. Mm-hmm. And I had friends who were in, in Nairobi. Uh, kid came in, stole the camera. They started screaming. It's the Arab quarter of Nairobi. The neighbors chased the guy down and beat him so badly the police wouldn't arrest him. Wow. So I... My disturb, I'm disturbed about the idea of vigilante justice, about untrained people doing anything, because I understand how badly the adrenaline can bid up. If there's nobody there who says, no, you can't hit him anymore, what would happen to this guy? Now, you, you understand, be honest, folks, he's a total scumbag. He'd just gotten out of prison. He sent back to prison for a very long time. Um, he's a would-be rapist. He might have murdered her. He's a thief. Still... Using vigilante justice as a way to deal with him is inferior to having courts and police and, and, and some sort of objective people. We don't let, I mean, one of the problems in certain countries, and a lot of it's in Arab countries, is they let the relatives of the, of the, the victim decide the punishment. And once you start doing that, you get a much more, you get a still more violent way. So that would be my, my challenge to you is, people would really have to change, Hava, to not have this kind of thing going on. Yeah. Yeah, well, back to that woo-woo piece. You know, people, uh, we're talking about traumatized people, you know, hurt people hurting people. I mean, we're, we're talking about, if we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty, we're ta- you look at you and your response to that guy and other response. I mean, you know, we could kind of dive into... You know, is that a typical response they received in their world or saw in their world? Mm. You didn't. You know, we're talking, we can get nuanced Mm. with talking about human behavior. Um, Why one person would kill that guy and and you wouldn't. Well, there was actually two of us against beating him anymore and two of them in favor. And there were the guy's girlfriend who, who, I mean, he's already in bad shape. And this guy would have, I don't know what, he probably would have killed him. So what I'm saying is that's where, where I come from, and that's why I'm, you know, uh, more sympathetic to having police, to having courts, to trying to do it. Now, that doesn't mean I think the courts are always correct or that they're, there's tremendous corruption among the uh, the um, uh, 
the courts. Um, well, remember when Dustin, who was uh, with uh, Northern yeah. Arizona Restorative Justice, he's no longer with them. He's now going down to Maricopa County, so it's very mm-hmm. exciting. He's bringing this into the hopefully the justice system down in in Maricopa County. Um, but we need to get dealing with punishing or not punishing restorative justice with kids, because you're describing a way somebody's raised to believe you deal. With somebody, I mean, this is obviously a very exaggerated case. I mean, this guy was possibly going to kill one of you or her. But we need to get back to that restorative justice model because we're going to the head of the beast and we're talking about the court systems and police. We need to really, you know, look at how restorative justice can become part of our. All right. You know, restorative justice now, and I'm in favor of restorative Mm -hmm. justice, I understand. But I'm, I'm one of these people who skeptical about everything and try Mm -hmm. to step back and look at things from different angles. Right now, it's being used mostly, and and, uh, we had uh, majority people, uh, justice people come on um, over the years with with young people, Mm -hmm. with not hardened criminals and not... Are you talking uh, teenagers? Yeah, teenagers, Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's where it's been effective and it's, it's shown good results. It's explained what the difference is. You know, we have... Retributive justice, which means somebody does something bad. This guy is going to rape this woman, and he's punished. And he's sent back to jail for, I think, was my friend of mine followed the case. He was along with me for seven more years. He had just gotten out. He'd been out for three or four weeks. Now he's going back seven years. We're going to punish him. He was going to do something terrible. He got stopped from really doing it, so we don't know quite what he really intended. So how, how do we teach that in terms of restorative justice? How do we teach it? Tre- uh, treat it. Oh, what's, treat how, it. What's the different attitude between retributive justice where somebody does something bad and for all the talk of taking them out of the system or protecting the public, we're punishing them. Right? Well, how about keeping them out and bringing them? So let's go back to the young people. When you think about a teenager who's going with the group mind, getting into trouble, he's a good kid. You're talking about a developing brain. It doesn't stop developing until the age of 25. So to punish a kid for doing something that they probably are never going to do again after the age of 25, you know, the recidivism rate really drops off as they get older because their brain, you know, their brains are online. They have empathy there. They can see a broader picture. They're not in that group think tank of, you know, hey, we're going to dynamite the public bathroom. Um, if you can then use restorative justice as a means of creating a relationship with the community so a kid can go to a family, uh, meet with a family, the victim, whoever they've affected, and have some sense of coming to peace with it and forgiveness. And, you know, there's probably punishment. There's some something's going to come out of it. But to form that, to, to give a kid a chance to really see you know, so what's the argument against that? Against restorative justice? Yeah. What's the argument against, against it? Because it? It, seems, it seems like, to me, that it just makes common sense. Mm-hmm. So what would be the argument? Is that what you're saying? Should we well, play devil's advocate is, here? The thing is, if we harshly we have a young person. If we start off by harshly punishing them for something they've done, and some of them have done very bad, bad things, mm-hmm. you know, and not just, just minor things. If we start off with punishing them, restorative justice 
eases that mm-hmm. and gives alternatives and tries to reconnect them to the community. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. What would be an argument against that? Why should we? Why shouldn't we just uh, punish them? Why? Why does that make sense? I don't see how that even makes sense. I mean, pol- uh, uh, politically, uh, particularly with most young people and most nonviolent crimes, um, certain violent crimes of young people are really not as serious as. as yeah, as and then they get taken. trapped in the system, yeah. and then they get out and they commit more serious crimes. You know, you're you're setting up too an identity for them. You know, as soon as you lock them up, they're a criminal. Right, exactly. And some of them, when they get out, they'll never commit another crime. It works. Especially given it, if, it, if, it if they've been up. in long enough, they're 34, mm-hmm. you know, their yeah. brains, you know, they're... they're they've changed. They, yeah, they've they changed. learned their lesson. Yeah. They made a mistake. Uh, the criminal justice system or they've, actually really... wakes them up when nothing else seems to have been able yeah, to. Or doesn't, you know, that system is... Or it is, doesn't. Yeah. Or it doesn't. Not exactly, you know, the prison's any kind of uh, rehabilitative... Will it work with... with in in an older prison population, you think this different attitude toward toward justice. Wait, say that. Say that. Will it work with in, with in, in a prison with 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 adults um, that are already there? They're already been there, there for a while? or who are in the process. Suppose someone, I don't know. So much of our 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 criminal justice is about drugs. Mm-hmm. But um, you know the number of bank robberies is really tiny anymore. Mm-hmm. The number of, uh, of robberies of people is very large. There's there's a million plus of them a year in the United States. Uh, robbery is where somebody uses violence or threats of violence in order to get something. Uh, theft is like sneaking into somebody's house. Um, and I was thinking that even even theft can really be traumatizing to the people it's done to. Mm-hmm. Um, when I you know, came home and everything was stolen, a whole lot of her stuff was stolen. It wasn't just the physical uh, value of the stuff, the, the economic value of the stuff. It was the feeling that her space had been violated mm-hmm. and could be violated again, mm-hmm. and that she could be, she could have been there and she could have gotten hurt. So it, it's what I see is just a really complex. Yeah. Structure. Yeah. I, I agree with you about restorative justice, but I think that you have to have people who are not, to me, the easiest thing to do is to, yeah, all right, so we have the guy tackled, they're, they're beating on him, and there's not, I'm not there, and the other guy that's uh, <laughs> holding down an arm, I've got a leg, he's got an arm, we don't stop them, and they just keep beating on him. Then someone could come along and just say stop. Someone who's not involved in it. Someone who hasn't been frightened by this guy raving the gun around. Somebody who's not the boyfriend of of the woman that he was apparently going to rape, maybe kill. Someone more objective. Someone who's not part of it. So I I see bringing people who are not part of it. And I want to see just the robber and the robbed together without mediation and oh, i no, know that, that in that restorative is, mm-hmm. justice yep. the important thing is getting the mediation mm-hmm. going yeah yeah somebody trained in the way of it's because it's a communication process and it works statistically mm-hmm. yeah absolutely absolutely well you're keeping a lot of people out of the out of the system and when you look at um, that statistic we talked about in one of our shows 97 percent of people in prison are there on a plea 
they're not even they haven't even gone through a trial uh, then uh you know we're keeping we're keeping the people out of the system which that's something we haven't talked about in a long time the power of prosecutors if you have a bad prosecutor, they have tremendous power now, stacking up a whole bunch of charges on somebody, mm-hmm. forcing them to 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 cop to a plea or whatever you want to call it, uh, admit guilt to something to get off it because they're not because they did it. They maybe they didn't do it, but I know of people who have who have agreed to a plea because they were frightened by all yeah, this the all these charges being mm-hmm. stacked up on top yeah. of them. A lot of that. And, and I think there's a, there's a young guy who wrote about it. A lot of it is the power now of prosecutors because we don't have trials. And we don't have trials and it's the power of the prosecutor to scare whoever it is into, to, to plea bargaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, that has some positive aspects, but I think it probably has some very negative ones too. Yeah. Well, you know, the getting restorative justice as part of the process involves getting the courts online, getting prosecutors online, getting the whole legal system okay with this being a piece of the process. Yeah. Um, and so that's what Dustin's doing down in, in Maricopa, talking to the county attorneys. And um, So it's it's definitely something we need to really make more part of the process, people talking to each other and victims getting their their um their say in this because often the victim of crimes you know because we're talking about a victim mm-hmm. crime they're not heard they don't feel like the the that justice has been served in that you know they haven't gone through um really expressing what the what it did to them what it did to their family what i it think did that's to their lives. absolutely true those though they they do now have a provision where the the victim gets to make a speech at the end yeah. but this is something more organic and taking part from the beginning so they really get to talk about it not just give some public statement about somebody who's, who they believe has injured them and then victims across the board say they prefer for the person that committed the crime to have this process and have some kind of resolution or movement, positive movement, than just locking them up or punishing them harshly. It's more satisfying on a human level to have, you know, and obviously the victim has to be a very forgiving person. This isn't something everybody's going to want to do to, right. you know. There are people who are very, very. But I think most people. Especially, you know, it, given the, the, the crime, obviously, it depends on the crime, that it just makes every, it makes the whole process more peaceful. Uh, more peaceful. The thing is that I, that I hear you saying is that really the, the, the key is, and we've only got a couple of minutes left, is to get people involved and engaged. Yeah. Yeah, and that, I that's think, the hardest part. What I would that's say, folks, that's probably the toughest thing yes. I see out there. Yeah, um, whether you de- agree or disagree with this, getting people engaged is difficult, and getting people engaged on a human level exactly. rather than this angry denunciations yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this, um, if you have if you have people denouncing, I, I it, the NIMBY stuff is just getting out of control, folks. So. That that's one of my concerns. Uh, yeah. We're going to have Steve Segner on next week. We'll talk about trying to get anything done when everybody's against anything being done near them, and when when government, even on the local level, is treated as if it's a giant conspiracy and that people are all crooks and they're all on the take. This these kinds of attitudes. Um, 
to, uh, I, I probably you probably don't agree. Are really undercutting democracy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I give you a last word. What your focus on criminal justice? What would you like to see most happen? You've got well, I you know thirty nine and a half seconds. I am just really excited about no cap the crisis assistance program. The city voted on the budget. They did not include our you know our fundamentals, but there's an ordinance coming, an amendment. We are not done. So doing something productive, doing something that's going to make a real difference and get cops out of the communities where they're not necessary, where they just commit violence, is really exciting and feels like we're making progress. And so, um, yeah, I just really encourage people to take care of each other and look around, see where you can be helpful. And, um, yeah. Thanks so much for letting me be a part of the show, Steve. It's been great I really to be here. enjoyed having you. We finally have somebody who has a voice for radio, folks. <laughs> Thank you. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news, right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.